Hi, everybody. My name's Ed, and I'm an alcoholic. Most of you know, last week we had uh, Skip R as our speaker. Tonight we get the rebuttal. I've got his wife, his better three-quarters, giving the lead tonight. I thought her home group was a valley group. I asked her before the meeting, and she said no. She says it's a drop-in center. So uh, with that, let me introduce Sally R. Thank you, dear. My name is Sally Ro and I'm an alcoholic. When I joined AA back in the antediluvian time shortly after World War II, we always said our, our last names, and if it's okay with you guys, I plan to go on doing it that way as long as God lets me hang around the fellowship. I come from a long and undistinguished line of alcoholics. My, my father, a naval officer, was, was a wild alcoholic, and I had really one hell of an upbringing. Uh, back of him, you know, when you didn't talk about things like this, you know, they keep you in the attic. I had, I had a, an uncle who worked for the New York Central back years and years ago. He was a switchman, and he kept losing the trains. And that, you know, that was, that, they could not keep that dark, so they finally fired him. And I saw him just, just before he died, and he was so sweet. He had this white hair, and, and oh, he looked just so great. You'd never know he was a howling drunk. That, then back, you know, farther back where something was wrong. Then I had to go and marry an alcoholic. And this will come as no surprise to you all when I tell you that our son is an alcoholic. I, I guess it was sort, sort of in the cards. Anyway, I had a pretty rough upbringing. I suppose anybody whose father is an alcoholic does, and I, I, I don't claim that mine was worse. It was just, it was just hell, that's, that's all. And uh, I swore that I would never drink. You know, you see it around all the time. That's the last thing you're going to do. I'm not going to drink. This is awful. And I, I, I did really dumb stuff like when I was nine years old. I um, stole some whip bottles, uh, whiskey bottles, and I broke them. And they never could figure out what happened to them. They, 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 they never suspected me. And that was my way of, of stopping the, the drinking that it was going on around my house at that time. So <coughs> I, was, I, I got over this, this blue stocking attitude, if you will, when I went away to a woman's college in the East. And there we were all trying to be grown up. And so we... Drinking was a big part of this. Well, we thought we knew a lot, but uh, we <laughs> we didn't know anything. We we just we just thought we were big heavy drinkers, and and we weren't. But still, when people would be going out for sodas, I would go out for a beer, and I didn't see anything strange about this. After I graduated uh, from college, I went to New York to live. And there I got into the advertising. No, my first job was at J.P. Morgan, 
uh, in Wall Street and talk about a drag. I got out of that and um, went into advertising where I, I quickly fell in with friends of, with tastes similar to mine. And there was an awful lot of heavy drinking there. Uh, I won't. I won't do the the whole the whole business of of those awful years. But in the course of time, it got pretty seedy. Uh, I lost a lot of good friends that I'd had earlier. My friends became, well, seedier and seedier. And I, <laughs> God knows, I fit right in there with them. I lost jobs. I. I lived in worse and worse apartments. I finally wound up in a girls' club on East 37th Street, and I think of that, you know, I have nightmares now when I lived there. It was that bad. But, um, and, and of course, as you all know, uh, if you're, if you, oh, and back in the 50s, see, they had the psychiatrist putting people like me on Nembutal at night and Dexedrine during the day. And this, well see, they didn't really know how, how bad this was. I don't think they knew. And so there are a number of us were completely spaced out. And, well in the course of time, you know, it, well, you, you all know how hairy it gets. So there were suicide attempts and, um, after one of those, I wound up in Bellevue Hospital, which, believe me, so I, I wasn't even going to tell you about this. I thought, God, you don't have to tell them everything, do you? But, uh, yeah, I, I wound up in Bellevue one Christmas, and that was the most terrifying experience I've ever been through. I even wound up on the violent ward through a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> It's really a misunderstanding, and, and I tell you that 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 was pretty horrible. I mean, like like it would be dinner time in the violent ward, and people would be sitting at tables like like this, and there wouldn't be they have spoons, and they'd start throwing the food and get into these humongous fights. You see, and then they barricade themselves behind tables, and then the Nut squad would. I mean, it was it was not something for a well brought up young lady to go through. Believe me. But you know, even that didn't convince me. I got I got sprung from there, and I went right back to drinking. Well, let's see. How long did it take? It must have taken several years. Seedier and seedier friends. I mean, it was bad. Until one day, I just decided I'd had enough. I don't know what did it. I, I just was fed up. And I wanted to, to stop drinking. And I knew that AA could do it. So I went to an AA meeting. And then I started going back to church. And I thought, well, this is just great. You know, I met, I met a lot of the people that I had been drinking with, only now they weren't drinking, and we carried on more or less the same kind of friendships. Wouldn't you say so, Skip? It was pretty much the drunks not drinking. I, I wouldn't say there was a whole heck of a lot of, of spiritual growth. You know, we were all, we were all too relieved at, at being sprung from drinking. 
Well, during the course of that time, I met the man I'm married to. We met at an AA meeting, actually, on 93rd Street, wasn't it? And uh, we got married on about a year. And I, I was still uh, in AA, but not of it, if you see what I mean. Uh, and then, then we decided that he was an alcoholic and I wasn't. So I was, I was permitted to drink, and uh, I had a pretty good time, and I guess he had a pretty lousy time. I don't know. I, I'm afraid to ask him. But um, time, time went by, and there we were in New York, and I got pregnant. You can't have a baby in New York if you don't have any money, because you can't afford to live anywhere. So we came out here to Cincinnati, probably long before a lot of you guys were born, as a matter of fact, and um, I was still drinking very, very moderately at parties. And this, uh, this went on, I guess, worse and worse until 1968. Uh, my husband is a salesman, and he would, um, hi Mike, how are you? And he would um, take off for, for um, trips, and I could hardly wait for him to go, because then I could, I could drink. And this I did, and I thought he didn't know. I don't know if he did know. And I would lose my bottles. You know, I'd hide them carefully, and then I couldn't find them. And I, uh, it was it was all the same old crap, you know, that you go through over a long, extended life of drinking. And um, I hide them in my sh in shoe boxes in my closet. My shoe boxes had no shoes in them; they had bottles. Uh, I. In a wild aberration, I hid a sherry bottle in the broiler of the stove when well, that was discovered later. And then we had, a, we had a, a bureau that you couldn't walk by without its clanking with the beer cans in the drawers. <coughs> and this was the way I went on for, for some years. Now, I found out later that my husband was drinking at the same time. He would, he could hardly wait to get away from me. He'd go out on the road and he would drink. And after a while we sort of caught on that each of us was drinking. So then we drank together. <laughs> and I remember we started in a refined manner with Harvey's Bristol Cream Sherry. God, yeah, that stuff is so, yeah, that is yuck anyway. And it costs an arm and a leg. And uh, we killed the whole bottle before one dinner and realized that we couldn't afford that, so we switched to martinis. And the end wasn't long in coming. Um, we were up in Michigan at my mother-in-law's hunting and fishing club in 1968. And uh, by this time I was on pills and booze. I didn't know if it was day or night. Uh, I think I sort of made a jackass out of myself. 
uh, again, the voice from above said, it's time to stop drinking. So I, I decided that as soon as we got back to Cincinnati, I would go to AA. But meanwhile, I mean, here I am up in the wilds of Michigan, and I'm dying. So we rationed my drinks. And I tell you, it is so much easier just to stop cold than to wait for the drink, because it's, it's, it was just, just hell. But we got back here, and I joined AA. Now, he, he came along with me to the first meeting, and he said he agreed that I needed it, but he didn't. But that's in that's in his story, which which I guess you all heard last week. Well, pretty soon he decided that that he really needed AA as much as I did. <coughs> and it sort of honks me off when I have to tell you that that he made it and I didn't. He uh, he has gosh I guess. 19 years now, right right about the end of last month. Now, I, I hung in with AA for a little while, and then not only this time was there no spiritual growth or, or any attempt to grasp the principles, I thought that I wasn't really an alcoholic, that I could stop when I wanted to, if that time ever came. And meanwhile, I could control it. And then there were two of the most awful years of my life. There, I'd have to go to AA meetings, <clears throat> a minimum number, to keep up the front for my husband. And I'd have to have stuff to drink so that I could live. And what am I going to do? So what I did was I drank this cough medicine called turpenhydrate. <laughs> with codeine. It had some interesting side effects. There was that. Then, there, I remember when NyQuil came out, I thought I had it made. Has anybody tried that? Oh, no, forget, no, no, of course not. Well, you know, it's that green stuff, you take a shot of this and you feel great in the morning if you live that long. Um, <laughs> I drank that by, the, by well, the, there were four-ounce bottles, and it was really great when they went to six-ounce bottles. And so, so I, I, kept, I kept the wolves at bay with this sort of stuff. In addition, there's vanilla extract that, that gives you a really nice little, little buzz, and that's, that, that's, that's how I maintained my equilibrium through those years. And then, of course, it, you, know, you, know, you know what it's going to do if you're an alcoholic, and I sure God was, am. Uh, sooner or later, I started with, with booze. You know, a shot here, a shot there. And I, I wanted, at this time, I really wanted to stop. I, I, but I'd be in my car, oh, I remember this so clearly, going down to the drugstore to buy another bottle of turpenhydrate and hoping the druggist wouldn't ask me if my cough was better. And thinking, God, I hate this. I want to stop this. And then this other little voice would say, tomorrow, tomorrow. And so, I, so it went for these, these two 
murderous years, and I thought he didn't know. Did you know? Well, there was one night when he found out if he didn't know already. This was, uh, by this, oh yeah, right. Let's see. I'd taken a master's degree during this time, so I wasn't socked out all the time. And then, then I'd gone to engine. I was in engineering school <laughs> because there's no money in mathematics, and <laughs> so I, I was in engineering school. And this was between two quarters at the university. It was between between the summer quarter and the fall quarter. It was like right about now. Will be within. I, in fact. I think my anniversary is next week sometime, but I was drunk. I mean, how the hell can I remember when my anniversary was? But I, you know, I, I know, I know the week. I don't know the day. I don't care. Uh, anyway, I had Skip was out at one of those meetings, AA meetings, and I was home with a friend of mine, Betty S, and another friend of mine, Charlie P, and. Uh, they were friends. They were friends of both my husband and myself, and they were having drinks, and I was fixing their drinks, and I was drinking cokes or tea or something. But every time I mixed them a drink, I'd fix one for me, you see, and slug it down in the kitchen, and then go back in the living room. We were having a pretty good time. And Skip came in, and it was the look on his face that that sort of escalated the whole thing. I mean. I, I realized he, he just looked at me with disgust and contempt, you know, uh, sort of like, you dumb shit, you know what I mean? And that, I, that did something to me. And uh, after the party was over, he wouldn't even talk to me as I remember it. So I, I, was, I don't blame him, God. Um, the next day I woke up and this was a totally new thing for me. I, I'd wanted to stop before, and when the thought had crossed my mind, another thought would come through saying, you can stop tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. But this time, there, were, there weren't any tomorrows left. This, this was the end of the road for me, and I couldn't stop drinking. It was it was as stark as that. I I just could not stop drinking. What to do? Well, that was really a very interesting week. The, the, the I, I just spent the whole time practically in my bedroom. I only came out to cook meals or to feed the dogs or something. Um, I. I knew that there were people in AA who did not drink, and they were, I didn't even care if you guys had a happy life or, or were having a great time. I didn't care about that. All I knew was that you guys were not drinking, and that was, that was what I really wanted. So I thought, well, if they, but you know, they, you guys already knew that I was a phony and a four-flusher, would you let me come back? Well, as it turned out, you did. And so I, th I thought it all through, and, and I realized that when I'd come into AA in, in 1968, I'd heard people say, take from the program only what you want to take and leave the rest here. 
don't upset yourself. God, that was the worst advice that... And, and so I, I also heard, and look, look, I'm not... I'll just tell you the way it happened to me, okay? I, I heard guys say, well, I haven't taken the steps, and a lot of guys haven't, and it works okay for us. Oh, well, I won't take the steps. And so, so there I was. And now, look, there may be a lot of guys who can make it in this program without taking the steps and doing all this stuff. But, in fact, I know there are. I, however, am not one of them. And it's, it, was, it was good for me to find out that this was true. So I stopped listening to people telling me what to take away from the program, and I decided that I would do it all step by step by step. And if if it was hard and unpleasant, I'd do it do that first. I mean, I was really socking it to myself. And if it was bad, then I'd do it harder. And that's the way I started out. This time, I admitted that I really was powerless over alcohol. In the times before, I'd always felt that I can control it. You know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I won't drink now, and I can control it. This time, I knew I could not control it. I knew that it had me. And it was sort of, you know, was I going to make it or not? There was no, no guarantee that I was not going to go the, the way that, um, that I'd started out. <coughs> so I just, I, the second step, after I just, I'd gone through the first step, that was me all over, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Well, by this, I, I knew that there was AA. AA was a power greater than me. I mean, practically anything was at that point. And... So, so here I am, I'm powerless over alcohol, AA is bigger than me, and it can restore me to sanity. And then came this kind of nasty one. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, that, that gave me a lot of trouble. I, I'd been sort of... <laughs> dodging God, you know, kind of hoping he didn't exist, you know, there's no God, you know, it's just a fairy story, that sort of stuff. But, uh, man, in that week in my bedroom, I, uh, I decided that, uh, well, see, there's a little leeway here, God, as we understood him. Okay. I mean, whatever you are, I don't really understand you. I mean, that is dumb, don't you think? Turn your will and your life over to somebody that you don't even know what he is or who he is or if he exists. Nevertheless, it was necessary, according to these steps, and I did it. Then, oh, this, this just gets really hair-raising. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory. Well, <laughs> most of the stuff, thank God, I couldn't remember. <laughs> but 
what, what I could remember was bad enough. I mean, oh, jeez. I, I talk about a wipeout. God. And, and here it is. See, and I, and I wrote it down on a piece of paper. You know, all the stuff I'd done. And, and then I, I sort of uh, edited that a little bit, you know, and, and got major headings of what I, you know, what a total stinker I was. And, but it, uh, oh, it was bad. It was bad. And then I come to the step five. Here, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, God, if indeed he exists, well, he was there, okay? I knew it, because I'd made up the list. I know what, what the wrong, I mean, I'm pushing the pen. Do I really have to tell somebody else all this obnoxious stuff? Yeah, I did. <laughs> there was a guy in AA at that time. A lot of people who've been around a number of years remember dear old Al Colopy. Now, that's not an anonymity break. He said he wasn't anonymous when he was drinking, and he damn well wasn't anonymous when he was sober. And he was... He was really tough, and he'd, he'd really seen through me when I first came into AA. He knew, he knew that I wasn't serious, and he just sort of, well, he did not think highly of me. <coughs> so what I did was I called him up, you know, just scary, and I, I told him I was, I'd done the fourth step, and would he please do the fifth step with me. You know, I'm six feet tall, but I felt about three inches tall about then. And he said, sure, come on out to the valley an hour early, I guess it was that night or the next night, and we'll meet and we'll talk. And I had this obnoxious piece of paper. And um, we sat at a table in that big cafeteria out there at Goodwill. Nobody else was there. And uh, he said, well, what's on your list? And I read him the first thing, and I looked at him. And he said, hmm, what's next? Well, we went through the whole list like this, you see. And uh, all this scuzzy stuff I'd been doing, you know, like original sin, that sort of stuff. And uh, somehow... He took it all away. I do not to this day remember what Al said, but that blessed man took it all away. And if somebody could explain that mechanism to me, I'd be very grateful. I'm grateful that it, that it happened. I guess I don't, know how, don't have to know why. So I, I felt a lot better, but there's still some more steps here. See, the sixth step says, I was entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Hey, not only was I entirely ready, man, I was more than ready. So the seventh step was no surprise. It said, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. This, this I did. I mean, I spent more time on my knees that weekend. I still got calluses. Then made a list of all persons we had harmed 
and became willing to make amends to them all. I did that, too. <laughs> well, I said, said so right here, so I did it. Even though I thought I was right, I did it. I made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And this I did. I mean, I ate so much crow, but I, I would not go easy. If, if, it was, if it was hard, I'd make it harder, because the, the easy way hadn't worked for me yet continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it. Well, I have a lot of trouble with that one even now. Uh, I try to take personal inventory and when I'm wrong I don't admit it all the time. There's somebody sitting right over there who will tell you this is so. I did, however, seek through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Well, by that, you know, after you've gone through all the rest of this stuff, that's a lead pipe cinch. I mean, you're, you're home free on, on that one. And uh, since that, that was 17 years ago next week sometime, uh, since that time, my understanding of God has changed appreciably, and that, that I'll tell you about a little while later. Then, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, guys, it, it really works. It's it's a great way to live. It's, it's not totally disaster-free, but <coughs> when, I, when I think of, of where I was and what I went through and, and where I am now, where I, you know, where I can stand up and tell you guys this stuff in the first place, geez, no, I'm not proud of it. Um, let's see, in those years, sometime I got a BSME, went to work for General Electric as a mechanical engineer, and uh, I mean, for, I, I deserve a medal for that, for God's sake. And I, <clears throat> I stayed there, I guess I was there off and on for 15, 16 years. Anyway, I broke loose a year ago last April, but before, before I broke loose from General Electric, I was in this church group at Christ Church downtown. And some of my friends there said, how would you like to go and wait tables at the drop-in center? Well, I'd seen the drop-in center on television, and God, you know, I'd really rather have typhoid fever than go do that. But, but what could I say? I mean, so, so I said, sure, I'll go with you. And I dragged him with me. I mean, he, he always goes with me on these things. And we went down there on the appointed night, and I was scared to death. I mean, here are all these bums standing around. I mean, they might say something rude. And, and then, then, then we walked into the place. More bums. I mean, oh God. And But what really broke me down, to get to the office to park your coat, you have to walk through the dorm. 
And this is before we had the new floor put in and the walls painted and the new mats. And it was all a, a scuzzy old floor, uh, sort of brown and broken linoleum. The, the clients, inmates, whatever, slept on these grubby pallets about yay thick. The reason being that if you're drunk and you're on a cot and fall out, you might break something. If you sleep on the floor, you have, you're have you right there. And, well, I got to tell you, I just almost cried at that. It was such a, a, a terrible place. And then I thought, well, you can't cry and put these guys down. Some of the people were sitting around there doing God knows what. So I didn't cry then. And then uh, my job that night was to serve dinner. And uh, I was dishing out the soup. And <clears throat> there were a whole lot of church people handing out stuff. And these guys, it was, it was awful. But each, each guy who came by, I'd say, hi, how you doing? And I got to tell you, the, the reaction was astounding. People would, would stop dead. You recognize me. I really exist. You know, then a lot would smile, a lot would say, hi, how are you? And, and I knew then that, that uh, whatever I do the rest of my life, I got to do whatever I can to, to lighten that situation up a little bit. So um, I was a regular serving dinner down there. And uh, then after, when I retired from General Electric, they gave me the job of, going to Buskin Bakery on Monday morning to pick up the day-old bread and take it down to the center. How many women engineers over 60 do you expect there are in Cincinnati? I have to tell you, both of us are outside Buskin Bakery on Monday morning. It's, you know, it's something about engineering, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I did that for quite a while. I'm still doing that, as a matter of fact. And uh, during, the during, uh, during the next year, uh, I, I met a lot of the guys. That they, we call them live-ins. And they, they stay there, and they're on the Buddy Gray's AA, oh, not, not AA, Alcoholism Program which they make up themselves, and I mean, they don't know what they're doing, but it keeps them off the streets up to a point. So I guess it was a year ago when one of the counselors called me up and said that the live-ins had got together and voted on it, and they wanted me to come to their meetings if I would, because I was just like them. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very humbling experience. You know, I was telling my son about it, and he said, yeah, Ma, especially when it's true. So I was, I was so touched. So I, 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 don't, I think I've missed them only when I've been out of town since. So then we all got together, and... and uh, decided that we needed an AA group down there. The guys from AA, from Oak Street. Well, you know what, at Oak Street, they got dope pushes, they got ladies upstairs, they got anything you want. 
That's what they. I tell them this isn't so. Uh, it's not, is it? Anyway, um, so we started this AA group ourselves. And the way we did it, I had thought in my ignorance that the way to do it would be to do it ourselves. You know, have, have the lead, the chairman be, be a guy from the group. And they're very big into discussions down there. And so we tried it that way. And it didn't work because the personnel is too transient. And then the counselors change shifts. And, and it's, it's just, it's like trying to hold on to Quicksilver. You cannot do it. And I had just about come to the end of my rope. I was really confused about what to do about this. When at the gratitude breakfast this spring, there was a guy ahead of us in line who was looking, his name is Dave S. And he was looking for an institutional AA group to run. He was just losing one. I said, step around the corner with me. I have, so the bottom line here is that Dave did and Dave is running it. Now the first thing that they got in from outside was me. You know, I, I do live on the outside. Now we've got Monday mornings at 10.30 we have the drop-in center group of Alcoholics Anonymous. Dave said he's going to get us in the bulletin and everything like that. And uh, Dave and his friends have brought literature. And what's really great is there are a lot of young guys there, who some of whom have street experience. And it is a true joy to see after the meeting in this grubby old room uh, the people from outside mingling and talking to the people inside. And I, I just have every hope that some on the inside will eventually make it to the outside. Uh, that's, that's uh, I suppose, a very big part of my life right now. Um, I've also heard this summer that uh, there's another AA group started down there, I think on Sunday nights, where somebody on a motorcycle, you can't believe everything you hear down there, comes down from Oak Street and uh, shows films. And they've got an AA group there going, uh, an AA meeting. Now, our, our, our 10.30 in the morning meeting is in the little house back of the drop-in center and up, up, up one flight in this apartment that, that uh, well, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's horrible, but, uh, but it's ours and we love it. And um, certainly would enjoy seeing any of you who feel strong enough to come on down and join us there on a Monday morning at 10.30. Other than that, I guess the big thing in my life right now is I'm learning to turn things over. Uh, I, I have this tendency, I have to run things. Always have to run things. I wake up in the morning and I run through my head the list of everything that's going to come down to, on me today or might come down and how I'm going to handle it. You know, it's, it's, eight things are going to happen, three alternatives for each one. Uh, that, that way, I mean, you, you can go crazy that way. So 
so I've recently uh, stopped doing that. I pray a fair amount, conversational prayer, you know. And I ask, I ask the Lord, please, to take this stuff away from me before I screw it up. And so far, he's been pretty good. And as long as I can stay out of it and, and he takes it over, we've weathered some pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Well, I hope, I hope some of you will come down and see us on Monday mornings. And thank you so much for listening.